and welcome to the Have A Crack podcast, the show that allows at least one person to rant and rave about anything and everything going on in the beautiful game that is football. I'm your host, Luke Peach, and of course, I'm joined as ever this time of week by my fellow co-host now, George Camp. George, hello, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I am absolutely fan-dabby-dozy. Right, um, as ever with these podcasts, I say something at the beginning that's affected football or or come into football's uh, peripherals over the last week or so. Two things. The first thing, uh, kudos to um, Bellingham um, of Borussia Dortmund getting called up by the national team. Really interesting to see what he does uh, for England over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and of course, a massive nod to everyone involved in Remembrance Sunday here in the UK. For those of you who are not from the UK and you have no idea what Remembrance Sunday is, if there are any of you, uh, Remembrance Sunday in the UK uh, basically is held on the second Sunday of November every single year and it commemorates British service members who have died in wars and other the military conflict since the onset of world war one it's what the little red poppy is all about if you've ever seen us wear those and yeah if if you have a look at any of the premier league highlights they will all start this week with the last post on the trumpets and we will remember them Right, so uh, let's get straight into the Premier League this weekend. Very, very interesting weekend. Obviously, loads of new talking points. VAR's obviously up there in the top three, as always. Um, a headline for me is that Ollie's bought himself some time, but we'll get to that. Scheduling starts to be a bit of a, a moaning point for some Premier League managers. Um, and of course, each individual team has their own headlines as well that we will get to. Um, But George, we're going to start this week where the Premier League started this week. Probably not the most enticing of beginnings, but it is Brighton versus Burnley. Final score between these two was unsurprisingly nil-nil. Um, for Brighton, you had a goalkeeper, returning goalkeeper of Matt Ryan. Um, along the back, you had Lamptey, Veltman, White, Webster and Byrne. A midfield of Gross, Basuma and Lalana, Supporting Morpé and, of course, making his Premier League return, Danny Welbeck. For Burnley, um, essentially uh, copy and paste every other team that Burnley's put out, really, except they were uh, buoyed by the return of their centre-back and, I believe, club captain. Correct me if I'm wrong, George, but Ben Mee. Um, so Burnley up top was Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood, as ever. Midfield of McNeil, Brownhill, Westwood and Brady. Backline of Lowton, Tarkovsky, the returning me and Taylor and Nick Pope in goal. Um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch this one. And by the looks of the scoreline, by the looks of the stats, by the looks of all the highlights, I am pretty glad I did not. Um, the stats indicate uh, that Brighton, obviously being the home side, had um, the best parts of the game. They had dominated things like possession, passes um, and shots, um, but with only registering three shots on target in the whole game. And Burnley doing what... Burnley do really um, putting up a very very strong defence and unfortunately for Brighton they just lacked the quality uh, within their side to to break down those those big barriers I will be honest I don't have any other notes other than that uh, as George calls it a bit of a bore draw really uh, but George uh, did you watch this one did you have anything to add to this one I, I didn't watch it and it was the first game of the weekend that was on a pay-per-view 
feel sorry for anyone who paid for that because it was a bore draw, wasn't it? And the thing, you know what? The thing is, I'd, I would notice for this game is you, you actually picked it out. Is Brighton they had three shots on target. Burnley had one shot on target, um, but Brighton actually had 19 shots in total. And uh, this, this, uh, this might just, from my opinion, I would say, um, Danny Welbeck, I, I just. I just don't think he's the answer for any team that's struggling for goals. Do you know what I mean? He's, he didn't really tear things up at Arsenal. He'd done all right at Man United. He didn't really tear things up at Arsenal. When he went there, really, and I, I don't really kind of, I don't really know why, but he sort of went there as a big signing for Arsenal. And I, I, and I from day one, always said that Danny Welbeck isn't all that. And I always wondered why he got into the England squad. But, I think he's now shown that, you know, he's not going to be there in a big six club. And he probably suits a team like Brighton, to be fair. He's probably bright. Brighton's is probably his level. Don't forget, he got relegated with Watford last season. So, um, and Watford, wanted, got, like, they paid him off. They paid him off. Like West Ham paid off Wilshire. Watford paid off Welbeck. And he's ended up at another Premier League club. Well, obviously Wilshire hasn't, but he's, you know, Dogged with injury, injuries. Welbeck has been as well, so I'm surprised. But yeah, board draw. Oh, these kind of games, you you look at them and you knew they're going to be those kind of games. Mm. So, I what mean, do you reckon? So, so um, I Danny Welbeck was the main focus point for me. Um, um, I did a bit more research on him. I'm surprised to find out he's only 29. I thought he was actually a bit older than that. Um, yeah. But I, the one thing I'll always remember about Welbeck is I remember a comment from Wenger when Arsenal signed him, and he said if he wasn't in the if he was in the country on transfer deadline day, he wouldn't have signed Danny Welbeck. Um, and I think that quote has followed him around wherever he's gone, and it's kind of been over his head. Like you say, he was a big signing. He's a big signing for Brighton. He's a big signing for Watford. Um, but those are two clubs that ideally should have invested the money somewhere else, uh, in my opinion. Um, a stronger striker, a younger striker, a hungrier striker. I don't think, I think Danny's kind of resting on his laurels and resting on his name and his reputation rather than um, powering forward and, and making an impact at a new club. Um, I suppose we yeah, can't I not totally talk agree. about Burnley at all. Um, and obviously returning Ben Mee will be a massive, massive boost um, to Sean Dyche and, and, and the Burnley team. I think if Ben Mee was playing in the last couple of games, you know, when they lost to the likes of Spurs, for example, and they were drummed by uh, Chelsea, that I think if Ben Mee was in there, it, they probably wouldn't have lost against Spurs and they probably wouldn't have conceded so many against Chelsea. So that will be a very, very big thing for Burnley moving forward. Um, and if they can get Chris Wood and Barnes fired, they should get out of trouble. I mean, I don't see it happening, to be honest, but I agree with you. If they get him on, if they get him firing, but don't forget as well, Ben Mee, ben Mee I think he was what, early 30s? Yep. 30, 31, 32. So, well, I don't know how long he's got left on his contract there, but it might even be till the end of the year. Yeah, it might be the end of this season, and by then, is he going to leave? Is it? Are they going to give him another two years? You don't know. If they get relegated, he'll obviously stay. I think. Yeah. Because I don't think there's going to be another club that will come in and pay. Well, I don't think there'll be another club that he'll get regular team, first team football at, unless it's a lower level if, yeah, Premier League side. But maybe a fellow relegated team. Age, yeah. Exactly. Or or a promoted team. You never know. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so, so, so there you go. That was probably not the best way to start a podcast, if I'm honest, but we do these these games in order. Um, so nil-nil starts the Premier League weekend, one point apiece. Um, so take the positives out of that, Brightly, uh, Brighton and Burnley fans. The next game uh, on our list um, was Southampton versus Newcastle. Now, uh, the final score of this was 2-0, and it actually took Southampton to the top of the Premier League, albeit only for um, the rest of the night and uh, leaning on into Saturday when uh, the likes of Spurs and Liverpool and everyone else played. Um, But Southampton going top this time of year, I think it was like the first time in their history that that has happened this time of year. So fair play to Southampton, fair play to Hassan Hootel for getting them to where they are. Um, One thing to mention about Southampton, Uh, is obviously Danny Ings unfortunately has now been ruled out for a little while with a knee injury Uh, obviously it has an impact on winning this game uh, because as we'll get to Che Adams and and Stuart uh, Stuart Armstrong managed to get on the on the score sheet for them but you have to think that maybe in some of the more difficult games moving forward without that presence of Danny Ings up front they may start to struggle so question marks over there moving forward. But for now, um, the lineup for Southampton was McCarthy in goal with Walker-Peters, Bednarak, Vestergaard and Stevens in defence with Jenepo, Ward-Prowse, Romeo and Armstrong in midfield supporting Che Adams, um, who is up there with Theo Walcott. Newcastle um, obviously have a string of good results coming into this, picking up random points and obviously um, getting that good win last week, if I do recall correctly. <clears throat> You then have um, Carl Darlow, um, ever-present in goal for them, a back five of Murphy, Shah, Lascelles, Fernandez, and Lewis, with Almiron, Hendrick, and Longstaff supporting Callum Wilson um, and St. Maxim. Um, and like I say, final score was Southampton to Newcastle nil. George, did you happen to catch this one? I didn't watch it live. I did watch the highlight, like all of the games that we've got. I've watched the highlights of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Southampton. I do, and it—it's not. It doesn't pain me to say it either. You know, I, I've always had not a soft spot for them. I've, I just—I've always quite liked them. But what they've—what they've got for me this year is what they haven't had in pre- previous year. Is their finishing is just exquisite. Like they—they—they're they, finishing so many chances off. Um, and Newcastle aren't a bad team, you know. They're not a bad team. The only the only thing about Southampton is that I wouldn't say they've had an easy run of games, um, but they haven't had a very they haven't had a particularly difficult run of games mm. um, in the first seven games of the season. So. Um, that's the only real negative I could possibly pick up from it. But they deserve to be where they are. Like They deserve to be where they are. The, the finishing has just been so good. You think of that a year ago, they were losing 9-0 against Leicester. Mm. And everyone of those question marks over Hassel and, and his managerial qualities. Um, now he's got them firing on all cylinders, beating a fairly decent Newcastle side, who aren't there, you know, they'll, they'll be in the league next year. Um, Southampton carry on the way they have been, then I, th- I think they're going to be they're going to be challenging for Europe. The only thing is said is 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 the fixtures that they've had. If you look at their next six fixtures as well, they've got Wolves away, Man United at home, Brighton away, Sheffield United away, Arsenal away, Man City at home. Mm. So there's four out of those six games 
where they're looking at them and going, geez, they're hard games. And Brighton away isn't exactly easy. Sheffield away, well, last last season it was a really hard game, but this season they're bottom of the league without a win. So um, Newcastle, on the other hand, um, they seem to be lacking threat when when Wilson and uh, St. Maximam aren't really on it. They had one shot on target this game. So I think they'll be looking at that thinking, you know what, we, we should have done better there. We should have created more chances. We should have, you know, number one rule, isn't it? Get shots off at the goal, get them on target. Because if they ain't going on target, then you're not going to score. Simple as having one shot on target away, away at Southampton, you're disappointed with that. doesn't matter who you are. You're disappointed with that. So, um, but fair play to Southampton. Adam seems to take and um, taken the next step up from, from the championship. I know, I remember West Ham were in for him at one point. Um, we could do with a striker like him because he seems to be in and around the box and just finishing off those those chances. So, yeah. fair play to him. I just worry for them over the next six games that they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Um, there's another team that I th- in, in the league that I think are doing that as well, but we'll come to that. Yeah, I'm going to guess you're going to talk about Spurs because I was going to say that the next six, seven fixtures for us are pretty much exactly the same as Southampton's, likes of City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, all of those coming up next. So it will be a defining moment. We'll, we'll, over get, there. There. we'll get there. Yeah, it'll be a defining moment for Southampton and several other clubs in the Premier League over the next couple of months or so. Um, but yeah, I agree. Newcastle, um, when, when Wilson isn't firing um, and to be honest, St. Maxim hasn't really been firing for this season for me. He's been helping and he's been doing some really quality stuff, uh, but he hasn't actually ever been firing if we're going to, if we're going to uh, class it as that. Um, if I was Steve, yeah. Bruce, I would start Andy Carroll um, a, a few times just because I remember when he played for Newcastle first yeah. time, I was always petrified and he came on at Spurs and obviously won the bloody annoying thing that happened and in the, in, in, in the end of the game. But, you know, he he can add an extra dimension to Newcastle. And I think Bruce, he did try that. He did bring yeah. on Andy Carroll in the second half. But I would I would start giving him a few starts and see 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 what happens and, and start to experiment. Like you say, Newcastle aren't going anywhere. They're most likely going to be in the league next season. So they can maybe afford in games like against Southampton to, 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 to do a little bit of um, experimenting. But particularly if you end up in, in a losing position straight away. But there yeah. we go. So, well, so the there we go. Newcastle have got Jolington as well, who's very similar to Andy Carroll. They've got these two players that they could use as big target men, and they're not really using them. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there are other teams that could use players like that as well yeah. that, that that don't. So, I mean, Joe Linton, he, I think he scored one goal when it was against Spurs, annoyingly. Um, and I know that Newcastle yeah. fans... 40 odd million quid. <laughs> they're livid with him, the fact that he hasn't added any more. But then again, you're absolutely right. He does need chances to do this, right? Um, but there we go. So final score, Southampton 2, Newcastle 0. Well done, Southampton. And uh, unlucky Newcastle. But on to the next week's uh, for you guys. Right, uh, next up is a game that I did watch. So we've <laughs> third game in and finally we can get to one that I have a few more extra notes on. Um, Everton versus Manchester United. Obviously at Goodison Park, Everton at home. The final score was 1-3. So Man United won uh, this game. Um, you felt going into this one that um, Ollie's job was on the line. If, if he lost here, it would have been something like, I think, three losses in a row. It was just before an international break. Potch had just been on Monday night football the, the previous week. Um, you know, it, all, all the timing was there for, for Ollie just to 
lose this game and be sacked. But fair play to him and the players. Um, that hasn't happened. Uh, and you can't exactly sack a manager who's just won a, a really tough away game at Goodison Park. So fair play to you. Um, but ultimately, both of these sides really needed a win. You know, Everton losing against Newcastle last last weekend was really, really tough for them. Uh, they were still without Richarlison, who's still banned, and you can see that they are missing him, especially the fact that Rodriguez seems to have, have burnt both ends and, and now he's not really doing much in games. Um, Pickford was also back in goal um, after the rotation that happened last week um, and he had a bit of a hothead moment for me uh, a bit later on which we'll get to. Uh, De Gea was in the Manchester United goal celebrating his 30th birthday. I've made a note of that um, and of course still no Pogba, Van der Beek or Cavani in the starting lineup. Or Manchester United. Speaking of lineups, let's just go through them quickly. So on Everton side, like I say, you had Pickford in goal. You had a returning Digny uh, at left back. Um, Carlo Ancelotti experimenting with his centre back pairings even more. Um, Keane is the only one that seems to retain his place, but the second position continues to be rotated. And Holgate was the one chosen for this game. Coleman was in at right back. A midfield three of Sigurdsson, Allen, and Decore, and a front three of Rodriguez. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Bernard. Speaking of Bernard, um, he was the one to get off the scoring mark first in this match. So Everton were actually 1-0 up and you can probably see on Ollie's face a little bit of poo came out at that point because um, obviously they were 1-0 down. He managed to squeeze in a lovely a precision shot down past De Gea um, after a Dominic Calvert-Lewin flick on. Uh, Calvert-Lewin himself and Martial for Manchester United had some really decent early chances, but they went wide of the post. Um, Fernandez then on 25 minutes, as he tends to do with Manchester United, um, he got an absolutely great header off um, a sure cross. Um, and even the commentator said the terms Fernandez is papering over the cracks at Manchester United. And at that point, I totally agreed. Um, Fernandez then was involved again. He floated a lovely cross um, into the box that Raf Rashford tried to get his head on. Uh, the replay show he actually missed it completely. Uh, but then again, so did all of the Everton defenders and Pickford in goal because it just floated over the heads and went into the far corner. So Fernandez actually got two goals for Manchester United. So at this point, if you're keeping score, it's 2-1 to United. Pickford then took issue with a um, with with Harry Maguire. He's just like me. Uh, pretty uh, pretty soft um, from Maguire. He basically went down in the box after what it looked like Pickford had, had given him a little bit of a kick in um, from what I could tell. Um, Pickford really took issue with this and started waving his arms and shouting. Replays completely exonerated Pickford because you could see that Pickford was actually pushed. I think it was by Maguire um, in the, in the build-up to it. Um, but for me, he's, he's showing a bit of rage the last two games, Pickford. And I worry from an England point of view, as well as an Everton point of view, that if, he, they're your, if he's your number one, he's going to get some red cards if he doesn't sort his head out um, in the next few games, possibly. Um, and then as the game came to a close, it was the 95th minute that um, Everton, I believe, had a corner, which then got broke by Manchester United up the other end. Uh, Fernandez with a lovely little flick over to Cavani, who then got his very first goal for Manchester United. Um, so overall, relief for Oli, dismay for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, and uh, the only other talking point was afterwards, Oli basically said to the media that... 
the boys in charge of the Premier League had set Manchester United up to fail in this game because of the fact, obviously, they played midweek in the Champions League and they had, I believe it was an 11.30 kickoff. this was on Saturday. Um, and the, so the time... 12.30. 12.30, thank you. Um, so the, the timing between these games uh, just didn't allow enough recovery time. Um, and, he, you know, Ollie showing some some fire that I haven't actually seen from him before. So it was, it was kind of nice to see um, from a fan's point of view. But yeah, overall score, Everton 1, Manchester United 3. George, any talking points for you or anything you want to elaborate on? Yeah, you know what? And, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, that Man United are one of those teams that they go through a period where everyone's absolutely slating them, they're playing terribly. Um, and then... Uh, and then they, they suddenly go on a run of like 10 games where they concede like three goals and win all the games. Um, the, it's funny you mentioned the, the, what, the, what Ollie said um, after the game. He actually, I wrote down the quote, it said, how can you expect players to perform at their best of their ability when you send them out at 12.30pm? Absolute joke. And I, I, you know what? I see him right. I do see him right. You can't be putting, you can't be putting teams that are played in the midweek and then putting them on a 12.30 game on a Saturday that's ridiculous. Um, they don't, it's just not, they haven't got enough recovery time. On the flip side, I'm going to look at the positives for Man United. Um, and I reckon this is going to surprise you because it surprised me when I saw them. Man United have got a very, very good away record. Now, most teams, are looking, most teams will look at Man United as a winnable game. I know I certainly would from a West Ham perspective, the way we've been playing. Man United have won seven away league games in a row. And they haven't done that since Alex Ferguson has been there in 1993. Is when they last time did the last time they did that. So their away record is unbelievable. The fact that they they're doing or well, they're performing away from home without the fans there, I think that speaks quite a lot because there are lots of teams in the league that have done better without the fans there. And I think Aston Villa are probably one of them. Mm. I think West Ham arguably one of them as well. Man United, they're definitely not. They're definitely not because they're playing at home and they're not. They're just not getting the results. One thing I'd also say is Pogba didn't start today, uh, today at the weekend as well. Um, on the flip side, Angelotti, it's the first time he's lost three games in a row since 2006. These are two teams that were in terrible form. They've both gone in there. They're both very important games for them. Man United have got another away win. And I think there will be teams looking at that thinking, you know what, we're better off playing them at Old Trafford because they're not getting results at Old Trafford, but they're coming, they're going away and they're getting these results. So that's, the, that's really the only thing I could pick up. Apparently Maguire was man of the match. Everton obviously still missing Richarlison. I think Mata is very important for Man United because I think he's underrated. Um, I do think he should, I, I, I personally think Mata's better than Pogba in the way that he plays the game with the ball at his feet. And obviously Pickford is just, Pickford is overrated. It's mistake ridden, isn't he at the moment? So yeah, there's, apart from, apart from the goals, um, uh, there's a lot of background noise coming from that game um, with, with those, with what I've just mentioned with United's away record and Everton's current form. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they both get on with their next game. I haven't looked at, looked at the fixtures, but it'd be interesting to see how they'll both be getting on with their next games. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, as, as as you say there, I'm looking at Everton's last four games. Loss, 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 draw. Um, and, you know, if you just turn back the clock mm. 
three weeks, you know, just after they got their draw, they were still obviously all in the green. They were top of the Premier yeah. League. Everyone's thinking, oh, are they going to do anything special? Um, and lo and behold, some suspensions, some injuries, some players stopped firing. And all of a sudden, because of the competitiveness of the league and yeah. all the uncertainty, they find themselves seventh. And loads of people will now look at them and see them as a, a beatable Everton rather than a, a, an unstoppable force. Absolutely. Is, is that draw the Liverpool game as well? Yeah. Because they should have lost that, really. VAR gave them that game. So, you know, they're in terrible form at the moment, Everton. Mm. Interesting times, interesting times. Um, right, let's move on to a game with even more goals. A Palace versus Leeds. Now, last week, George, if you remember, we said, oh, Leeds United are going to Palace. They should, they should probably win that. That should be nice and easy three points for them. Well, it turns out me and you know absolutely nothing about football, as it turns out, because the final score was Crystal Palace 4, Leeds United 1. But then again, of course, we didn't take into account the absolute travesty that is VAR, but we will we'll get to that shortly. Shortly. For this particular game, Eze started um, for, for Palace. I think it was only like this third time that he was he's done that. Um, and Ayu um, uh, came up mm-hmm. to up instead of Batshuayi um, for Palace. So Hodgson tinkering with his side just a little bit. Um, Bamford obviously is the main person for Leeds, and he played again. And obviously he's banging form. Uh, he actually is the person who got Leeds United's goal. He should have got another one, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, Scott Dan scored for Crystal Palace after 12 minutes from a header from a corner. Very, very good goal. You know, Scott Dan doesn't really get a lot of goals and you can see it meant quite a lot to him. Uh, Bamford then equalised on 17 minutes. So it only took about five minutes for them to go up the other end and score. The only problem is he was ruled as being offside by VAR. The reason why he was ruled offside is because his left arm was outstretched pointing to where he wanted the ball to be played. Now, as far as I understand it, an offside can be done when any part of your body that can score a goal is in the offside position. You can't score with your hand because if you do that, it's handball, it's a foul to the other team and all that kind of stuff. So I officially either don't know the rule or I've interpreted that knowledge wrong. Either way, the commentator was surprised. If you watched Match of the Day, Gary Lineker and everyone was surprised and thought it was absolutely awful. And um, I think Tim Cahill was the person on Match of the Day and he said he is worried for strikers now because they can't even point to where they want the ball to be played. Um, To me, utter, utter rubbish, but I'm sure George will have his own opinion on it come the end of my little summary. Um, So it's still 1-0 technically to Palace at this time. Uh, Ezzy then, um, from a free kick, put them 2-0 up. Great strike. Um, sponsoring the Have a Crack podcast, I would say. He had a crack. Thank you very much, Eze. Your support is greatly appreciated. Bamford then scored properly, as you would say, on 27 minutes. Uh, very, very lovely uh, goal. Definitely a man in form. And you have to say, if the other goal went in, it probably could have been a different game altogether for Leeds. What then happened is, I want to take you back to something George said at the start of this podcast. He said, if you get a a shot on goal, um, that's the only way you can potentially score. Well, Townsend will probably disagree because he tried to uh, feed in a cross to IU um, in the Leeds uh, area. Uh, It was literally right by the corner flag from what I remember. And Costa um, of Leeds intercepted it. He, He got a nasty deflection. And somehow, from the most tightest of angles I think I've ever seen, it actually went in the goal. 
Um, so the shot was nowhere near on target. In fact, it was a whole 90 degrees off, but the, the deflection obviously took it in. Um, but Crystal Palace won't mind. They took the goal, nevertheless. Ayu uh, then scored to, to basically seal the win and merit Hodgson's decision to start him. It's worth mentioning that Bamford did have a late chance to score another one, uh, but obviously it unfortunately went wide. Um, and overall, Bielsa, uh, the Leeds manager, came out at the end and summed it up as a, as a fair defeat. He's a bolder man than I, because with that VAR decision, I'd be shouting, screaming and hollering and damning the, the technology altogether. But there you go. Crystal Palace 4, Leeds United 1. George, what do you think? Oh, VAR's a joke, isn't it? It is a joke. That, right, so we'll, we'll start on the Bamford goal. VAR has made more incorrect changes. You know, like when a decision is made and it's overruled, it's made more incorrect decisions like that than it's actually made, which is correct one, from an opinion based. You know, from what I can see, and probably what from what you can see and what most other people would say, is that more, the most of the decisions of VAR are overturning are incorrect. Would you agree with that? I, I, I would agree. Well, that, I, would, I would caveat it. I would say technically correct in some interpretations of the, of the rules, but morally correct, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, can't, you can't give someone offside for them putting their arm out. It's, it's a perfectly legitimate, legitimate goal that's been, that's been chalked off. On the other hand, Bamford's actual goal that was legitimate, was a, was a very good goal off his chest and left, left foot straight through it. Um, Palace are doing all right, you know, and I don't, I don't particularly like Palace as a football club. I just, I, I've never warmed to them. You know, Scott Dan done well. He wrestled two, two lead players to get to that ball and he done really well to get there. Eze is a crap, he's a good player, Eze. He's a really good player. He's definitely, you know, that step up from the championship, he was definitely ready for it. Um, it was such a good free kick. The own goal was lucky, you know, like, and actually, it wasn't um, Townsend that crossed it. It was Van Arnholt. Ah, crossed, my apologies. Um, from a very acute angle as well. And then Leeds had sort of given up and just left AU in about 50 yards of space for, for Zaha just to pass the ball through to him. It's, it, it seems to be that, and I said this to you last week, is that people were surprised when they see Leeds get absolutely thumped. Um, they got thumped by Leicester 4-1 at home the week before. Uh, on Monday night football um, and people seemed quite surprised and I was like I don't know why people were surprised because Leeds are a newly promoted team Leicester are a very good team that that score that score line makes a makes sense to me um, the 4-1 defeat to Palace all right I, that, I wasn't expecting 4-1 but that's you know I would still expect Palace to win that uh, personally from a from a perspective of any team in the league you look at a promoted team and you think, we, we're going to win that game. And I'm worried, and I'm now worried for Leeds, because they've had a couple games where they played really well. They kind of, you know, they've, they've, they've kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. Um, I know they, they lost to Wolves 1-0, and then they beat Villa 3-0. And then since then, they've lost 4-1 against Leicester. They've lost 4-1 against Palace. Those two games are really important for Leeds because they needed that momentum because their next three, four games are really difficult games. They're, they've got Arsenal at home, they've got Everton away, and they've got Chelsea away, and then they're at home against West Ham. So they're going to be looking at those four games thinking, you know what, we, we fancy, we might, they might fancy playing Arsenal, but Arsenal have 
just not had a, not had a very good result as we'll get to. Um, Everton aren't particularly in form, so they might even actually fancy that. Chelsea, well, Chelsea are, are red hot at the moment, and West Ham are playing with West Ham are playing well, so they're not particularly in form, but they're playing well. On paper, Leeds will be looking at those fixtures, thinking, "Whoa, they're tough games." Leeds fans might be thinking, "Some of those teams aren't really playing very well, so we might fancy it." Depends on the time, that depends on the day, doesn't it? So, um, I know that I know that obviously you've had Ed on the show before. I don't know <laughs> if you spoke to him about it, but it'll be intriguing to see how he's feeling since he was last on the podcast. Because when he was last on the podcast, there was a very positive feeling amongst Leeds fans. I think that feeling's definitely changed. I'm sure we'll get Ed back soon. Uh, right. Um, so let's move on to the next game, which was Chelsea versus Sheffield United at Chelsea. Final score, Chelsea four, Sheffield United one. Now, I believe last time these sides met, Sheffield United actually did come out on top. Um, so they were coming into this with a tiny bit of confidence with that knowledge, but obviously coming in off the back of being bottom of the Premier League. Um and of course, they're bottom of the Premier League still because of the final result. Despite all of that, from Sheffield United point of view, uh, you guys went 1-0 up first through David McGoldrick. Um, I have to be honest, though, even watching this one live, as I did, I, can, I kind of thought, mm, that's not going to be enough to win this game. Um, but, you know, from what I saw... They gave a good account of themselves in the opening 20-odd minutes or so, but you could see that over time Chelsea were growing and growing and growing into the game. Uh, from a lineups point of view, for Chelsea, you had Mendy in goal. You had a back four of James, Zuma, Silva and Chilwell. I think that back four is quite settled for them now. Um, you have Kovacic, Kante and Mount in midfield because Havertz is um, at home ill, um, self-isolating because of what's going on in the world. And you had a front three of Werner, Abraham and Zayec. For those Chelsea fans wondering where Pulisic is, he is injured. Um, from a Sheffield United point of view, you had Ramsdale in goal. You had a back three of Stevens, Egan and Basham. Midfield of Lowe, Lundstrom, Norwood, Berg and Bulldog with Brewster and McGoldrick up front. The reason why Sheffield United fans, you are not playing Ampadu in midfield is because he is on loan from Chelsea and ineligible to play against his parent club. Um, so like I say, Sheffield United went uh, ahead on nine minutes through David uh, McGoldrick. Very, very uh, Really, really good passing sort of goal is probably the best way to describe it. Um, first goal that Mendy has conceded for over, I think it was over 700 Premier League minutes, but that might be an over-exaggeration. It was quite a long time um, until eventually... And you're right, it is. It's, it's, that's a cracking record. Yeah, it was really, really good. And Kepa definitely um, sweating a little bit on the bench. He's, he's probably going to leave Chelsea in the next transfer window. I would if I was him. Um but then uh, Chelsea put their foot on the gas and as I've described them on this podcast a couple of times, they are whippets. They ran to the other end. They were running circles um, into the box and Tammy Abraham uh, scuffed a shot, which actually ended up going into the back of the net to make it 1-1. It only took a further 11 minutes for Ben Chilwell to get on the end of a cross and score with his, I want to say his thigh, but maybe it might have been his chest. Um in my opinion, Ramsdale probably could have done um, a little bit better with it. But Ben Chilwell got the goal. Ten Silver then in the 77th minute got on the other end of a of a lovely um, cross from Hakim Ziyech. And it just bulleted into the into the goal. Um, age is just a number, particularly for Thiago Silva. He's really now starting to acclimatise. 
Um, as long as Lampard continues to manage him well, I think he will be uh, a good solid rock for them. Um, and then uh, Timo Werner in the 80th minute basically sealed all three points beyond any any doubt. And Werner had quite a few chances in this game as well. Um, so arguably he could have scored a couple more. Uh, a good highlight for me in this match was he wasn't on the score sheet, but my God, um, was he on the assists with um, helping the likes of Silva and Chilwell, I believe. In Zayic, he's really, really finding his feet. He's almost Hazard-esque with his, with his free kicks and with his um, assist record. Um, so I think Chelsea have got a bit of a bargain with him. And I think if they keep playing him and he keeps getting more minutes under his belt, he will be key for Chelsea moving forward. Um, dangerous signs for anybody who doesn't like Chelsea, in my opinion, because I think they are now overtaking the likes of, of Everton. Um, and, and Liverpool in terms of being the main team in form uh, that we should all worry about that has a recent history of being very good. Um, so, George, what did you think of this game? I mean, the scoreline is expected, first of all, um, from from my perspective. Um, but Chelsea, oh, you're right. Anyone playing Chelsea is worried. Like, Chelsea are banging them in. Like, they've scored four. four in the last four games, they've scored four, three, three, four in the last four games. And they've conceded one. So that's that's like Chelsea when they first had Mourinho in twenty two thousand three two thousand four. It's it's that's that's crazy stats. Um, but you know I, the only thing I'm going to pick out is is because I expected Chelsea to win this game. I don't want to talk too much about them. I do want to talk about Sheffield United though because mm-hmm. they're struggling. Um, first thing I want to see I want to say is that. They let Chelsea have a lot of the ball. Chelsea had 70% possession. And if you let, it doesn't matter who Chelsea play. If you give Chelsea, a team like Chelsea, 70, 70% of the ball, they're going to score three or four goals against you. You just can't, can't let them have the ball like that. Um, the other point is, I, uh, and I've, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, is the Sheffield United goalie. Um, Ramsdale, he was, he was a, he's, he's a good goalie, don't get me wrong. Uh, but Dean Henderson last year, he he really kept them in games um, and he did make them hard to beat. And I just think he's a bit flappy um, with, 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 the way he's, with the way he is. Um, he, he wasn't strong enough for the, the Chilwell goal at all. The ball came over and he was nowhere near it. He, sh- he should have got to that. There's no, no doubt about it. The, the Abraham, the first goal, the Abraham goal was a scuff. All right, it was in the corner. Um, but potentially you, you think he maybe he would have got that as well. Uh, the silver goal um, was a corner and he's come out to try and punch it. He's got nowhere near it. He's got absolutely nowhere near it. He's pla- his player got in between him and, uh, and silver. And he, 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 if you look at the replay, he's sort of like, he hardly jumped and he's trying to like, trying to get the ball with his fists and he's just, he's nowhere near it. Um, it's, I just, I just think that, Teams like Sheffield United, teams that are in the bottom five, they need a good goalie because they're going to have a lot of shots taken against them. So they're going to need a shot stopper. They're going to need a strong goalie, a goalie that's going to come out and take the ball rather than flannel with it, you know? Um, and, and I don't feel like Sheffield United have got that. Um, the fourth goal was a bit different. They, you know, he was left on a two-on-one two on one situation and Werner just put his foot through it for the fourth. So... Um, but Sheffield United, they've got to look at that. They can't be letting teams have so much of the ball and and then Ramsdale's got to start 
being a bit more assertive because when a goalie's leaking goals like that and making mistakes, the defence loses confidence in them. And this is a, the, a, the prime example of this is from West Ham last season when we had Roberto in goal. And because we had Roberto in goal, our defence lost so much confidence. He made so many mistakes. In the end, it got Pellegrini sacked. So Sheffield United have really got to start working on that. They've got, they've got to look at that as, as, as a key point for them. Um, because otherwise they are going to get relegated. That's simple as that. So what do you yeah. think? Well, I mean, I'm just looking at the Premier League table as it stands. We'll go through it at the end, but I think you're absolutely right. Anyone from 15th down at the moment, you've got to look at their goalkeeper. So Sheffield United, as you say, Ramsdale, having a horrible uh, start to his Sheffield United um, career this season. Burnley, Pope's not doing great. Um, so we, we talked about that last week. Um, even despite him getting the chance for England last international uh, call-ups and him being good for England. For Burnley, he, he hasn't really um, done it. West Brom, I couldn't even tell you who the West Brom goalkeeper is. Um, I, I, I want to say something along the lines of Fernandez, but that's, uh, that I could be wrong. Sam Johnston. Sam Johnston. Uh, is he? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought it was a guy called Sam Johnston. I, I don't, I'm not really quite, quite sure, but I'm pretty sure it's Sam Johnston. Yep. Um, Fulham, again, another one. I'd have to take a couple of minutes to think who the goalkeeper is. Um, and Brighton, he's been, he, he put Ryan in this week, but obviously a week or so ago, he had a different goalie because something's going on in the background between them. And Leeds United have got the, the young lad as well, which obviously because of his age and because of his inexperience, he, he will not um, be making the saves that someone of a more experienced age would. Um, everyone else moving up. I mean, Man United are on the same level of points as Leeds, but it's De Gea for crying out loud. You can't discount him. Newcastle, we've talked about how uh, Darlow has been absolutely amazing for them. Um, and then upwards from there. Well, West Ham, should Arsenal. be knocking on the door of the England squad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, But everyone above that, you would say their goalkeeper is really, really good. So it just shows you that the, the, the table doesn't lie. But there we go. So that was the final score. Chef, uh, Chelsea 4, Sheffield United 1. Right, so the next game, I am not going to say too much about this because I know George loves talking about his beloved West Ham, particularly when they win and particularly in a very, very, um, very, very interesting and very fun to watch game, it sounded like, George. You paid, I believe, fourteen ninety five for this instead of buying 1,400 Freddos. Um, so... Yeah. Final score was West Ham 1, Fulham 0. Uh, George, take us through it. Well, right. So, where do we start? First first 10 minutes of the game, um, we played really well. And I, I literally, you know when you sit there and you start watching a game, right? And you think to yourself, we're going to end up winning this like 4-5-0. Easy. Because the way we were playing, we hit the bar early on. Uh, we had loads of the ball. And it looked like it looked like one of those games where you think, Oh, this is going to be a cricket score if they start. Put, if they put one in, it's going to be a cricket score. Cricket score. And like, we we haven't really changed the team. We've we've obviously had the issue of Antonio's not being able to play because he's injured. So we've played Haller up top instead. Other than that, it's a very much unchanged team with with the two wing backs in um in Kufal and Mazuaku, with Balbuena, Ogbonna, and Creswell sitting in the middle. Um, obviously, we've then got Rice and Suchek sitting in midfield with Bowen and Fournals on the wings with Haller in the middle. Fulham, on the other hand, well, you mentioned about their goalie, right? And we'll, I'll go through the team 
in depth with you, but Ariola, the goalie, was man of the match, and we'll get into that. They've got Aina, who had that blinder last week, Anderson, Adarabio, whatever his name is, Robinson, who come from Wigan um, the other season, they paid like £2 million for him. He's looking really good. Um, Anguisa as well, Reed, Reed, two Reeds, um, Captain Kearney, Adam Omer-Lukman, and Mitrovic, who's the ever-present for Fulham. But the thing is, with, uh, with Fulham, if I was a Fulham fan, I'd have watched this game and I'd be very frustrated. Even though that they've not had the results, because they had a lot of the ball and they played really well, Fulham. And I do feel sorry for them in a way, because it was a very even game. West Ham almost ran away with it in the first 20 minutes. If, they scored, if we scored in the first 20 minutes, I don't think Fulham would have got anywhere near the game. I think it would have been 2-3-0. Well, well, as, as we went through, Fulham got more and more confident. Um, they didn't really produce much. And this is the thing. They got more and more confident, but they didn't, they, they didn't really penetrate our final third. They just had a lot of the ball and, and they stopped West Ham from being able to get in behind them as well. Second half, again, it was mainly, mainly Fulham with the ball and they had a good couple of chances. Um, and then in the last minute, well, the 91st minute, Ben Rama comes on. He plays the ball down to Suchek. He smashes it in. I've jumped up in joy. <laughs> We've won the game 1-0. Happy days. Three minutes later, we're back in our own box. And uh, Ben Rama, he tickles, he tickles, um, I can't even, I think it was Kearney. He tickles Kearney's toe. Well, the sniper was in the stand, wasn't he? So the sniper's had a go and he's caught him. He's, he's got Kearney back in the bang of the head and he's fallen down. How VAR, first of all, have given a penalty for that is beyond me. It's very similar to, to the Liverpool game where um, Salah went down because there was a st- there's a slight clip and this is, this is the argument, right? And I've said this before. If there's contact, they're classing it as a, as a foul. And it's a dive. It's simulation. It's nothing other than simulation and a dive. So I don't know how, they, how the VAR can give that. What, what's your opinion on that? If, if, if they touch him, is it a foul? No. If they just touch him, it's not a foul. If they touch him with enough force to stop play significantly, then it is, in my opinion. He didn't touch him with any force, though. That's the thing. It was, it was a clip. It's not enough to send him down or even put him off balance. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Well, so, I've seen the highlights, and you're right. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. VAR are giving these decisions because they're saying that there's contact. Football is a contact sport. This was served because Lookman, this is one of those, you're live on Have a Crack podcast, please do not swear. But he tried to, you know, he tried it. He tried it, didn't he, Lookman? And he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dink him here. And it looked like he just didn't have the confidence. And you, I said, you, you said to me, and I always send you voice notes when I'm watching the football. Um, you said it was one of the funniest series of voice notes. That you the fact that they were given away the penalty and it's been given by VAR to... I don't even think it was jubilation. It was hysteric laughter. Yeah, so, you, and, sounded and, like, um, you sounded like a, a serial killer laughing as you chopped off someone's head. Um, and I'm going to price a swear word with the word um, lucking. Um, George's voice clip to me said, he's lucking given the penalty. 
um, and it was swiftly followed by another one that says, he's lucky missed it, <laughs> followed by the, the laughter. So, um, he's yes. only lucky missed it. <laughs> so I, I, I was out and about um, uh, over the, around the countryside um, looking, at, looking at new houses at this time, and that gave me a lot of, a lot of joy <laughs> um, as I was driving along, and my missus played the voice message over the, uh, the car Bluetooth. So you filled up my whole car with absolute <laughs> hilariousness. <laughs> so thank Good. you very much for that. I'm glad I'm there to, uh, to make your day. Uh, but overall, yes, obviously, um, West Ham. Yeah, it, 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 you know what? It's one of those things where I don't think we protect, we play particularly well. Kufal, who normally plays well. Um, Rice had an absolute stinker of a game, and I hate saying that because I do like Rice, but he had a stinker of a game. He kept on losing the ball. Haller wasn't particularly good, but he, had, he did hit the bar. Bowen and Fornals, Fornals both didn't have very good games. The, the Fulham goalie, Ariola, well, he, he was very good. The first, he kept him in the game the first 20 minutes, and that's the difference. If, that, if that's another goalie who's not, who's not sh- stopping shots, then that game could have easily finished 3-4-0. Easily. But the fact that, that you know, they've got a good goalie in between the sticks, it could be the difference that keeps them in the league above teams like Sheffield United mm. or, or West Brom, who I believe are uh, next in line. Yes, so um, from George's team uh, to, to mine, um, the next game is West Brom versus Tottenham at the Hawthorns. Now, as I just said, I was, I was out and about um, house shopping this weekend during this game, so I was only um, relegated to the TalkSport commentary and obviously Twitter um, going on uh, as well. Um, so the uh, full lineups of this one, um, you're absolutely right, George. It is Johnston who is the goalkeeper for West Brom. So Johnston was in goal for West Brom. A back five of Furlong, Ajayi, Bartley, O'Shea and Townsend. Midfield of Kravinovich, Livermore and Gallagher. Up top, Robinson and Grant. Uh, for Tottenham, it was Harry Kane ever present up top, supported by Son, Undumbele and Bale. So Bale, Kane and Song starting their first Premier League game together. Suzoko and Hoiberg anchored the midfield with Regulon, Dyer, Alderweireld and Doherty supporting Hugo Lloris in goal. Now, according to Twitter, um, we were absolutely terrible. And by we, I mean Spurs, of course. We were absolutely terrible in this match. We were giving the ball away. We weren't challenging. Undumbele was actually our only decent player in that first half. Touches were getting away from the likes of Harry Kane and obviously Bale not showing that he's not match ready or, or starting ready or old Bale ready, whatever you want to classify it as. And even Sonny, uh, he was having um, a bit of a torrid time. Um, I believe he had a cut, um, a a shot that was just nowhere near the goal. Um, his eye just definitely wasn't in. Uh, unusual for Hoiberg and Suzoko to um, to not dominate a midfield, particularly Hoiberg, who I think has been very, very good. So all credit to West Brom, though. They piled on the pressure, and Billich uh, will be um, would have been telling them, um, especially at half time, you know, that Spurs are there for the taking. We can win this game, and, and rightfully so. For the first half was anything to go by, uh, they could have done. Eric Dyer cleared a West Brom chance from the line. So again, a, another game where Spurs are denying a goal scoring opportunity uh, from, from, from the line. But ultimately, um, 
it fell to Harry Kane in the second half. Jose Mourinho analysed it. Um, he took off the likes of Undumbele, Bale and Sissoko um, in the second half and replaced them with very, very attacking options in Mora, Lo Celso and Vinicius. And then when Lo Celso came on, he was instantly a, um, adding a bit more attacking flair and our chances actually went up. Um, Vinicius um, was on at the same time as Kane. So all of a sudden, the West Brom defence had two strikers to contend with instead of one. Vinicius himself, even had a very good shot from outside the box, almost creeping into the corner, but Johnston was aware of it. And it was because that Vinicius was on that the defence was actually um, taken away from marking Harry Kane fully. It was a Doherty cross that met Harry Kane's head, who jumped in between two West Brom defenders, and unfortunately for West Brom, the goalkeeper couldn't do anything about it. But like I say, this was entirely West Brom's game in the first half, um, according to all the highlights and all the Twitters and everything out there um, the likes of Grant had some decent chances I mean if you look at the stats there was 19 shots for Spurs in this game five of them being on target but equally there was 12 shots on target for West Brom which was quite a lot for them if you look at their stats over the course of this season but ultimately the result is what it is 1-0 to Tottenham in the end Bilic obviously has some positives to take over this and he could say to West Brom right now look if we play like that every game they will not all go against us like that um, he even said it himself, you know, you're playing against Spurs, you are playing against a top team with a top manager. No matter what your feelings are against Spurs, you can't deny that that is, that is the case. Um, and people will say, you know, these are the types of games that, that champions win. I'm not going to go that, that far and say we're, we're definitely going to challenge for the title. I'm, I'm more reserved than that. But it is a true statement. West Brom and Burnley and Brighton, all three games that Spurs have had recently. Those are traditionally games where Spurs will have dropped points or even lost, uh, but we've come away uh, winning all three. And it, it's a really good feeling to be a Spurs fan. It's, it's an un, unusual feeling, I can tell you, um, but really, really good. Um, I know a point that George is going to make, so I'm going to sneak in there first. We sort of brought it up later uh, earlier, and that's Tottenham's next seven or so Premier League fixtures. So strap yourselves in. It's Manchester City at home next Saturday. Uh, sorry, on the 21st, followed by Chelsea away, followed by Arsenal at home, followed by Palace at home, which is then swiftly followed by Liverpool away and Leicester at home. So essentially we're taking on five fellow challengers, as it were, um, for the Premier League um, just before Christmas. So... Um, and also something to, to bear in mind, in between all of those, we have European exploits at the likes of Ludogresk, Lask um, and Antwerp as well. So really, really challenging few weeks ahead for Tottenham. And I think if, if they come out of it um, well, uh, then, then I'll start to concede that we might be champions. But until we get through that difficult period, I'm, I'm not counting my chickens. And from a West Brom point of view, obviously, it's not all about Spurs, Luke. Get back on West Brom. They sit in 18th. You know, Burnley and, and, and Sheffield United are the only teams below them on one and two points, um, respectively. They are only one point behind Fulham in 17th, and a win would actually take them level on 16th with Brighton. It looks to me like those five teams that I have just mentioned there will be the main ones in the relegation battle as it currently stands. Uh, but the good thing, West Brom fans, is you're in the middle of it. You know, you're not too far down um, on the pecking order and it is still within your control. And with the likes of Bilic involved, um, you have a very good chance, I think, of, of clawing some, some much needed points. 
But that's enough of me rambling on about my team and, and that game. George, what do you think? Do you want to add anything? I've got quite a bit to add. Right. So, uh, first of all, let's talk, I'll talk about West Brom first of all. Very, very good from West Brom. That's, that's the type of performance that um, you want to see from them. It's resilient. What I think West Brom are missing is um, an Andy Carroll, pretty much, because they were putting a lot of balls in the box and... I think it's Grant, his name is, just didn't have the height to get to him. If they had someone like Andy Carroll in there, he'd be getting to them. And they would have, they would have put a couple of them away. They're missing a big man up top. And I genuinely believe that they would have won that game if they had a big man up top. Their um, tech comes to but mind. But that, you know, Alice. they don't. So that might be... Th- well, you know, they might, that, but think that he's not particularly a big man, though. I'm talking like tall, real tall, big man. You're worried about him every time we've got a corner. They get a corner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Benteke doesn't do that for me. Andy Carroll does that for me. Players like him, they do that. They they make me worry. So, um, what? And and one thing that I am gonna I don't know if praise Tottenham, praising Mourinho more so, which is part of Tottenham. So, is that the way that he'll change the way teams play for certain situations? That's one quality I've always liked about Mourinho. He will change his tactics mid-game to suit other to suit how the game is going. Right, that big diagonal ball straight into Harry Kane for him to just get the flick on to put that in the in in the goal. Um, we used to see it when he was at Man United with Fellaini all the time. They used to get Fellaini on and put him up top, and they'll do these big diagonal balls. And he he says, if you're in the last ten minutes of a game diagonal ball in the box because if that ball is within the vicinity of the goal like going towards the goal all you've got to do is get a little touch on it just to nick it out of the out of the path of the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper is not going to be able to react too much quick enough to be able to stop it from going past him past him and that's why i like that's what i like about Mourinho. now this is more of a question for you Luke. i know we've touched spurs's games have been relatively forgiving for them the first seven fixtures you started off with Everton at home you had Southampton away you had Newcastle at home you obviously then drummed Man United away from home then you had a uh, West Ham game which is uh which yeah, 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 yeah okay we won't talk about that right now but then you had Burnley away only Brighton and West Brom Spurs fans every people like the media is looking at this and going Spurs fans, title Spurs, title contenders, and I'm sitting there thinking, look at the look at their games that they've played. Like you, you're you're exp- I mean, you're sitting where I'm expecting you to sit right now. I, I expect you to win most of those games, if I'm honest. Like you should have beaten us, Man United. You've beaten them quite a few times in the past. You should be beating Everton. You should be beating Matt Southampton, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, West Brom. You should be beating all of those games teams. And actually, some of those teams you you should be beating by a lot more goals than what you have been. Now, if you continue that type of form in terms of how you've been playing towards the next seven games against Man City, against Chelsea, Arsenal's derby, so don't matter about whoever, what form it is, is a derby game. Palace away, that's right? the only one way you're looking at that thinking that's a dead cert win. Liverpool, Leicester, Wolves, they're games where you're sitting there, you're worried. I'm worried for you. So how confident are you really? Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I am petrified about Chelsea um I am 
slightly optimistic against Man City and Liverpool, but that's only because of their recent games and their recent form. If they turn up like they, like they, if they were the team from last season, for example, if they turn up, then I would also be as petrified as them, um, as I was for Chelsea. Arsenal is Arsenal. Um, like you say, it's a derby. Um, flip a coin for me because yeah. Um, it's just a derby um, and yeah even Palace I'm not counting my chickens with Palace after what we said last week yeah? I go into every I used to go into some yeah. Premier League games confident you know I, I used to go oh we're playing Leeds at home we'll get three points we're playing Southampton at home we'll get three points it's got to the stage in the Premier League with Spurs for me that who are we playing this weekend oh crap that's a tough game um, and that's the yeah. default position. And I think it's the same for a couple of other clubs in the Premier League, but it's especially key for me because of the, the Spursy term and the Spursy way. You know, it doesn't matter to me if we beat Liverpool and beat Man City, but then we go and lose. Palace. Exactly. We'll lose against Palace and lose against Leeds, you know, and my, I want to quote my dad. He actually told me to quote him on this podcast. He's one of our confirmed listeners that I do know about. Hi, Dad. Um, and that is, like what you said, if we'd have hung on against West Ham, which, God damn, we should have done, and if we weren't robbed by Newcastle, we'd be top of the league, clear by five points. And that is something that we need. Yeah when we go into this run of fixtures, because then technically, I suppose if you want to get pedantic, we could afford to lose against Chelsea. We could afford to lose against Liverpool. Arguably you could afford to lose against Man City as well, because then you would still be in with a shot of whoever's in second or takes over from first for you. Um, but that, that's my current feeling as a Spurs fan. Uh, if, yeah. if I'm honest. Well, that's the thing. You don't want to be going into games against Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Let- or Wolves, you don't want to go with any of those six games. You don't want to be going into them thinking, geez, we need to win this game. Like, we really need to win, otherwise we're going to be we're going to be playing catch-up. They're not the type of games you want to be. I know that the, the other games are tough as well, but that you also look at those games thinking they're more easy, that you, you're going to win them. You're feeling more confident about playing Burnley than you are playing about Liverpool, you know? So you never know. Yeah, I mean, for me, our ace in the hole is, is Mourinho, for exactly the reason you say. If things ain't working, he'll change it. And Harry Kane... Um, at the moment, given his form, he could pop up with something. Um, those are our two aces in the hole. But again, I'll reiterate, as a Spurs fan, during this season, I go into every game a little bit scared. Um, and perhaps we're only a centre-back or two away from that feeling changing. Um, but until then, um, I tiptoe into every every game. Right, uh, that's enough about Spurs. Um, Nothing on the pessimism. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's that's enough on Spurs and West Brom. Uh, let's move on to um, the next game, which was Leicester versus Wolves. Yes, it, it's worth noting that Tottenham, with that win, did go top of the Premier League, but only for 90 minutes because the final score between Leicester and Wolves was 1-0 to Leicester, which took them into the position they find themselves in today. Top of the Premier League with 18 points. Flashbacks and PTSD for me as a Spurs fan of the season Leicester won, and we put pressure on. Now the uh, lineups for Leicester City. Uh, two or three. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, 
<laughs> from Leicester's point of view, in goal there was Schmeichel, uh, a backline of Evans, Fuchs and Fofana, who, my God, is an amazing prospect and will go far. Um, Justin, Tillemans, Mendy and Thomas in midfield with Madison and Pryat supporting Vardy. For Wolves, you had a very, very Wolves lineup. Um, everything in it was Portuguese, pretty much, apart from Cody. You had Jimenez up top, Podence and Neto supporting with eight Nuri, who scored last weekend on his debut, don't forget. Neves, Dendonka, Semido, Bolly, Cody, Kilman, all protecting Patricio in goal. Um, and the talking point of this game was the goal because it came from the penalty spot after Leicester were awarded a penalty for what was deemed handball. Now, I officially don't know what the handball rule is anymore. Um, for me, um, from what I could tell, the ball hit his hand when he was running. Um, as you run, the hand goes into a certain position um, and pff, there's nothing he could do about it. So I would side with the Wolves defender on this one. Um, but obviously the officials didn't agree and VAR didn't agree and Leicester got the penalty and as Vardy does and tends to do, uh, he put it in the back of the net uh, to give Leicester all three points. It's worth noting that obviously Wolves did have their chances in this match. Neves had a really, really good shot of note. Uh, but it was a very, very evenly split game. You look at the stats from a possession point of view, it's pretty much 50-50, give or take a percentage um, or two. Shots-wise, 10 for Leicester, 8 for Wolves, and both having roughly the same of them on target with 2 and 3. Um, I didn't watch the game. Um, I only have seen highlights, so I can't comment on any other specific specifics that happened other than the Neves attempt and obviously for Fana's contribution outside of the penalty. George, what did you make of this one? It's a VAR thing again, isn't it? Yep. The penalty. Now, the thing is, I, I understand why they've given it. Now, for my understanding is, handball will be given as handball if it's in the same passage of play that a goal can occur from. Whenever, but that same passage of play has to be within two passes. So, for example, if I whip a ball in from across and it's hit him on the hand and it's looking like, it's gonna, it's looking like your player's going to get on the end of it and potentially score from that, they're going to call it as handball. Now, I, I disagree with it. How can, how can a player get out of the way of that? How can a player get out of the way of something like that? He can't. He, he moved his arm to get out of the way of the ball and it hit him on it. Like he moved his body and his arm away and they still gave handball for it. It's ridiculous. And the other thing that, that they didn't mention is Leicester actually got two penalties in this game. And the second penalty, I don't think was the penalty either. He threw himself to the ground. The sniper, I don't know how the sniper managed to get from, from London back up to Leicester so quickly because he threw himself to the ground and it wasn't a penalty. There's, there's, again, it's the minor touch that, that there was. By the way, Patricio, absolutely fantastic save from the penalty, um, for the penalty. So, you know, if you've got Vardy in your fantasy team, you're, you're laughing because you've got, you've, he's just got a penalty and scored, but then he's gone and missed one. So again, if you've got Patricio in your team, he was annoyed because he's, he's, he's conceded, but he's then going to save the penalty. By the way, at the moment, Lookman, if you're listening to this somehow, that's how you miss a penalty. That is how you miss a penalty. You don't dink it like you did, you fool. Anyway, um, again, like you know what, Wolves are a good team. They weren't really, they weren't really all on it today, um, on on it at the weekend. Um, cracking save from Shamichael from Neves, who hasn't scored for a long time. 
from what I remember, or hasn't scored like he. I remember when he was in the championship, he was scoring belters left, right, and centre. He was having a crack all the time, and he was he was scoring from them, and he hasn't been doing that recently. Um, good save from Schmeichel though. One thing I've I've, I've wrote on my notes is, um, do we think that Wolves are missing Diego Jota? Do we think? Yes, they. I didn't. Think, I don't think they adequately replaced him. I think when you see the impact he's having at Liverpool, that's where. I don't know why. I don't know why. But when you take a player like Jota and put him in Liverpool, you suddenly realise how good he is and how pivotal he was for a no offence, Wolves, a lesser club than Liverpool, like Wolves. It's like, for example, if you took. Oh, I don't know. Let's say Eze from Palace, who's 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 really well, or Ward Prowse from Southampton. Ward Prowse probably the better example. Currently, yes, he's Southampton's main man, but I think the general consensus is, yeah, he's an all right player. But if you take Ward Prowse and you put him in a Liverpool side, and he does for Liverpool what he, what he does for Southampton, you'd be ranting and raving about him, and Southampton would be suffering because they haven't got him. It's that kind of scenario for me with Jota and Wolves. When um when they bought him, I was like. 40 odd million quid for Jota. I said, like, You are joking. That's ridiculous. Two weeks ago, I think even less than that, I messaged some of my Liverpool friends and I said, You know what? I eat my words. I really do because that's a solid signing. That is value. That is for, for that. So, um, I, I, Wolves, they don't seem to be on it like they were the last couple of seasons. Do you know what I mean? When you look, you, you, they got promoted from the Championship, and everyone, everyone that straight away was like, Well, yeah, they're a good side. Like, they worry, you worry about them. And they, they were consistently good throughout the season. They haven't done what Leeds have done, is that they've come up, people have looked at them, thought they'd be worried about them, and then they've dropped off a little bit. Wolves were consistent when they first came up. Now, they seem to be losing that consistency. They got drummed by us, 4-0. They're losing 1-0 against Leicester, um, giving away penalties, which I know, they, they as I said, I don't think they were penalties. Um, maybe Maybe they are missing something that they just need to potentially look at January to bring in one or two just to freshen it up um, because you know the Portuguese national side ain't doing ain't doing bits at the moment are they well there is a Portuguese player that potentially will be available next summer according to the news Juventus are going to let Cristiano Ronaldo go yeah. that'll be an interesting signing for Wolves um, you heard it here first have a crack um, right <laughs> um, let's move on because I'm conscious of time uh, yep. the next game is Manchester City versus Liverpool so good god mouth-watering clash on paper as quite a lot of mouth-watering clashes seem to be nowadays it was to me only that uh, on paper um, come the end of the game there were spells in it don't get me wrong where it was definitely champion of last year versus challenger and the best teams of the Premier League of course but I think overall I did end up kind of zoning in and out of this game I don't know if that's just me. George, you might feel slightly different, but we'll get to you in a second. Um, from a quick lineups point of view, from uh, Manchester City's point of view, ever present in the goals, Eduardo, of course. You had Walker, Diaz, Laporte, and Cancelo, uh, settled back four for City now, I believe. Um, you had Rodri and Gundawan in midfield with Torres, De Bruyne, Sterling, supporting Jesus, who is back uh, from injury. Aguero still not fully cleared, I believe. From Liverpool's point of view, uh, Klopp seemed to solve the um, puzzle of starting Firmino or Jota by starting them both. Uh, you had Firmino and Jota 
uh, Salah and Mane all on the pitch at once. You then had Wijnaldum and Henderson anchoring the midfield, protecting Robertson, Gomez, Matip and Alexander-Arnold, who actually went off with a little injury as well during this game, which will be sad for most Liverpool fans to see. And of course, Alisson was in goal. Um, final score was Manchester City 1, Liverpool 1. Mo Salah with a penalty in the 13th minute and Gabriel Jesus uh, with an equaliser on 31 minutes. Uh, the main point to bring up for me is in this game, Manchester City got a penalty um, which was uh, missed, can you believe it, by De Bruyne. So Manchester City could have arguably won this game um, had he actually got his shooting boots on. Uh, but very, very similar to the Leicester Wolves game in terms of possessions. It was quite evenly split. Shots on target were only at two and three, um, respectively. Um, and the big talking point of this one, as you can imagine, is the um, decision to give penalties. Um, did Salah go down too easy again? Um, I believe it was Salah again, wasn't it, George? Yep, um, and um, the Man City penalty that De Bruyne... No, Mane, made. sorry, it was Mane. Mane, my apologies to, to you, Mo. Um, but from Man City's point of view, the penalty that was awarded that De Bruyne missed was very, very similar to the Wolves penalty, um, I believe, that was awarded to Leicester, again with handball. And where do you draw on the line, you know? Uh, but ultimately, Klopp and Guardiola both labelled this as a must-win game for their side. So I don't think either of them will be happy with a single point, but both of them will be happy that they didn't come away with nothing at the same time. Uh, notable for me is Klopp at the end kind of echoed um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer by saying, you know, these players haven't had time to recover. Um, so that's the hot topic um, from two of the biggest clubs in the Premier League. Not enough time to recover. George, what did you think of this game? Um, Liverpool's front four, like they had Yotam, Firmino, Mane, and Salah all playing at the same time. Like, geez, Louise, like that's a that's a front four to be to be terrified of. Um, they didn't really do much, though. That's the thing. They didn't really do much. Yotta's had a good few games, and we just spoke about him and how Wolves are missing him. But they didn't really do much in this game. Um, the 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 Liverpool penalty ridiculous die for Mane, absolutely ridiculous. Again, big shout out to the sniper. He's got himself from London to Leicester to, to Manchester in the space of, God, don't know how he's done it, but well done. Um, and, he, and he's got a 100% success rate as well, getting them all bang in the back of the head because they all went down like a sack of spuds. Um, from the slightest touch from Walker, yeah, Mane's gone down. It's not a penalty. Shouldn't have given it. VAR gave it. Um, and, and Gabriel Jesus, he's a good... He, he, he had a good goal to, to bring it level back at in the 31st minute. Great little turn. I've put on it as Alexander-Arnold gone missing because I don't feel like he's done much this season so far. Well, last season, everyone had him in their fantasy team. This season, I haven't even thought about putting him in my fantasy team. I don't know what you're, what you're thinking about, but um, he's, def he's definitely not a player I'm thinking, sitting there thinking he's definitely got to be in my team next week. Well, I think he's my go-to for an England right-back um, at the moment, but that's due to a lack of options. Walker being the only other possible option um, mm -hmm. uh, at the moment for me. Um, I think there are better right backs in the Premier League, <laughs> to, to, to put it very, very bluntly. Um, but the yeah, and then the, the the Man City penalty. I don't think that was a penalty either. As you as you said again, it's similar to the Leicester pen. Um, that that has put the tally up to no less than six wrong VAR decisions. 
in a weekend, which is just, it's, it's just unforgivable, isn't it? Like, how can they bring in a system to correct the wrong decisions and then have them consistently make the wrong decisions? Um, it just, you just can't write it, can you? Um, but De Bruyne and uh, Adimoma Lookman, they're obviously sitting there consoling each other with a nice cup of hot chocolate, thinking about what they did at the weekend because they seriously got to hang their head in shame. To not even hit the target on a penalty, he's just as bad as trying to dink the goalie. So, yeah, um, the um, the popular internet meme, someone wiping their tears with all the hundred dollar bills, uh, yeah. springs to, springs to mind. I will move us on, George, because I am, as I can say, conscious of time. Yeah. We've got one more game to get through, um, which is a very fun game for me to talk about: Arsenal versus Aston Villa at the Emirates, and. Uh, let me cast your minds back a few weeks to when Aston Villa drummed Liverpool 7-2. Um, so they'd already claimed a hell of a scalp this season. And obviously since then, Aston Villa haven't had the best of times. They've been up and down, losing some, winning some, not getting the best results here and there. Um, but someone seems to have gone back in time, got the Aston Villa team who beat Liverpool straight after the game and put them on a pitch against Arsenal because the final score was Arsenal nil, Aston Villa three, with an own goal from Saka on 25 minutes, which, to be honest, should have been Trezeguet's, um, but it did it did come off Saka for the own goal. But if he didn't do it, Trezeguet was going to score it. And Ollie Watkins, adding to his impressive um, amount of goals against big clubs this season scored two on 72 and 75 minutes to seal Arteta's fate now Arteta credit to him he came out at the end of the game and said you know what that wasn't my team for the first time I've managed for the first game I've managed um, I can safely say to you that was not my team I take full responsibility as manager fair play he's learned that from Guardiola I think um, but Arsenal really didn't help the situation with how they played you had Leno in goal, in goal, holding Gabriel and Tierney in defence with Saka, Elnene, Thomas and Bellerin, William Lacazette and Aubameyang. So pretty much exactly the same starting eleven that took on Manchester United and won last weekend. For Aston Villa, you had Watkins obviously up top, supported by Grealish, Barkley and Trezeguet. And Grealish and Barkley and Watkins, that three is actually starting to scare quite a few people, I think despite them being a tiny bit inconsistent at the moment. McGinn, always a threat, was in midfield with Louise, who anchored it a little bit for me. Cash, Consart, Mings and Target made up the defence, protecting former Arsenal goalkeeper understudy Martinez, who I'm sure will be having a little bit of a smile um, since this match. Um, and long story short, uh, the Watkins goals were fantastic. The cross um, into Trezeguet to get make Saka score the own goal was also fantastic. Um, Party, I'm going to single out Party in this one because I praised him last week for his impact against Manchester United, but he had a bit of a stinker in this match. Um, and if you look over all the press at the moment, they're saying, well, they're saying a couple of things. One of them I can't really believe, but the first one is that Arsenal are really missing a creative number 10 if only they had a 350 grand a week German international uh, waiting in the wings um, but hey ho um, and the other thing I heard was um, Arteta should be concerned for his job uh, I, don't, I think that's a little bit premature even as a Spurs fan I think I think he's done okay and one bad result does not a bad manager make um, but hey ho George um, straight over to you Aston Villa and Arsenal yeah I'll try and keep this brief I, I don't really want to talk about Aston Villa too much because even though it was a very good result for them 
I think there are talking points there from an Arsenal perspective that need to be addressed. First of all, Villa, very good, free-flowing football. They obviously had the first goal, one goal, um, debatably ruled out offside. I do think it was the right call. Villa actually got something right for the first time. The third goal, the run from Grealish, from his own half, belted across the whole pitch, um, counter-attack to set up Watkins for the third. It's just unbelievable. However, for an Arsenal team to set up at home in such a defensive manner against a team like Aston Villa, I find very strange, personally. It's almost like they were really concerned about Grealish and Watkins and then and that Arteta has told them to stay back from them and not put their foot in because they're worried about giving away the, the challenges, giving away fouls. That's what, I, it almost, that's what it almost looked like. I don't understand Arsenal. They play Willian, and I praise Willian as a really good signing because that's free transfer it is a good signing however they play Willian instead of a 72 million pound player in Pepe who they leave on the bench and then they're playing Lacazette up front well Jesus Christ Lacazette what well, because he does nothing there's nothing there that he's doing with the ball and then you've got Rob Holding that that's being played instead of David Luiz how can you choose to play a, a player that a couple of seasons ago was playing for Bolton Wanderers in League One over David Luiz? I don't understand that. And then you've got Aubameyang, who, as you said, 350 million quid. You touched upon it. He signed a new contract this year, right? He has done nothing since the first game of the season against, against Fulham. Nothing. Ever since he signed his contract, he's done nothing but smile. Has he? He's not done anything. And then you've got Bellerin. Well, Bellerin's obviously got one eye on the Paris Fashion Week because it's ridiculous. And then, you know, what Watkins bullied him for the second goal. I'll tell, I'm telling you now, West Ham play better. West Ham are playing better than what Arsenal play. Every team are going to be looking at that Arsenal team thinking that's a very winnable game. The international breaks come at a good time for them because Arsenal fans must honestly be thinking, watching their games, thinking that they'd rather be watching something like EastEnders or, or Tipping Point or The Chase because they are that bad at the moment. Pepe came on for 20 minutes at the end of the game and, fast, and the fans are asking why and why, are, like, why is Pepe coming on 20 minutes and not, not having an impact? Well, he's playing 20 minutes. How is he going to impact the game? Yeah. I mean, William starting the game, he's not doing anything and no one's asking any questions. I mean, just to clarify there, the 350 grand a week person I was talking <laughs> you know, about was actually Ozil. <laughs> but uh, hey-ho. Um, uh, well, you know what I mean? But to, to be fair, Lacazette and um, Aubameyang is the same as well, to be fair. And then... was. The thing is, and people are banging on about Partey. But Partey can't fix that team on his own. He's not going to be able to fix that midfield on his own. What's happened to El Elneny? I thought he was the, the new messiah. Do you know what I mean? If all these Arsenal fans, they, one week, they sign one really good player, they're going to win the league. The next week, all of those players that they're praising are playing absolute rubbish. Rob Holding was left tap dancing by Grealish in that game. Mm. It's almost as if Arsenal actually need Jack Grealish. It literally, how can they say? I, th- I remember that when um, Jack Grealish was being touted by the other teams, and people were thinking that Jack Grealish is going to go. This was just before Grealish got his new 140 grand contract. And Arsenal fans were saying, "We can't. Grealish is not good enough for us." So you're joking. They would die for a player like Grealish right now. Die for him because Arsenal are not good enough. 
they're not good enough. If I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be absolutely. And I, I've sounded, I've sounded quite passionate about that because I can, I can feel the pain. I can. I, and you, as a, as a Spurs fan, you might, I'd be laughing if I was a Spurs fan and I'm seeing this because I, I can really feel the pain from an Arsenal perspective because that was not good for them at the weekend. It was embarrassing. I, 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 I did laugh. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm, sorry, sorry, Arsenal fans. I'm a Spurs fan at the end of the day. After oh, I laughed as well. I laughed. I've got a lot of <laughs> Arsenal friends, and um, I did laugh at them. And and but but my, I, th- I think my points are very valid. To be fair, um, that a lot of those players are not putting a, putting a shift in, and Arteta's got to look at his squad selection because that that that's not the right squad. That he's you can't be choosing players like Rob Holding over David Luiz and. You can't be choosing. You can't be leaving Pepe on the bench. He's seventy-two million pound player. He scored a couple goals this season as well. So, I personally don't rate him. But let's move on because I will sum up the table right. Shut up. (laughs) Right at the end. Um, So first at the top of the Premier League is Leicester City, of course, as I said, on eighteen points. Behind them on second is Tottenham on seventeen, followed closely by Liverpool, also on seventeen, but Tottenham separated by. Um, goal difference of plus eight more. Um, Southampton then make up the top four on 16 points. Chelsea and Aston Villa both sneaking in there on fifth and sixth on 15 points. But don't forget, Aston Villa do have a game in hand, so they theoretically could go as high as second with that. You have Everton in seventh place. My Val Mighty have fallen. Uh, Crystal Palace joins them on 13 points. Wolves as well to make up eighth and ninth. Tenth and eleventh on 12 points each are Manchester City and Arsenal Manchester City of course being one of the other clubs that has a game in hand so could go as high as fifth Um, West Ham and Newcastle uh, make up 12th and 13th with 11 points Manchester United and Leeds both together only having 10 points but again United having a game in hand so could go as high as seventh then you have Brighton on six points, Fulham on four points, and the relegation zone is currently occupied by West Brom on three, Burnley on two, and Sheffield United on one. So there we go. Another very, very interesting week of the Premier League is in the history books. I am pleased to tell you, well, I'm not really pleased, actually, because it's now the international break for for a few weeks. Um, So as before, we will wait till the end of the international break to do a roundup of the internationals, uh, particularly from an England point of view uh, podcast before then getting back into the Premier League review sort of schedule that we've found ourselves in. Uh, so for now, my thanks to every one of you for joining us and, and listening to us ramble on about football. George, my thanks to you again. Um, and no on Twitter, guys, you can follow me at LJ Peachy and you can follow the podcast on at Have a Crack Pod. George, where can they follow you? Campy WHU. And we look forward to seeing you on there. Uh, have a good couple of weeks, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>